guys. Welcome to another episode of our series of podcasts on infant baptism. Uh, I'm Pastor Stuart Anglet. I'm from Christ Church, Opelousas. With me, as always, is Pastor Brandon Neely, lead pastor of all of Christ Church. And today we're going to be talking about the history of infant baptism. This is interesting. Yep. I haven't really thought about it in historical terms before, other than like what they used to do in the Bible. Sure, so, sure. So what do we got? Where are we going? Well, we know in the Bible that proselytes, Gentile converts to Judaism, okay. were baptized, and they were baptized, their whole household was baptized. And this household. Uh, particular proselyte baptism was occurring in the um, intertestamental period, okay. the time between the Testaments. Intertestamental. And we'll we know that for later. Yeah, we know that um in the Old Testament, children, women, girl children were baptized. They okay. weren't circumcised, but they were considered clean and they were considered to have received the sign um through their head, through their head of household, whether that be their father or their their uh, yeah, that's husband. right, because they had the ritual cleansing after so many days that they would go through. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's one aspect of it. But even even when they were born, you know, boys were circumcised and baptized, but girls were thankfully not circumcised. Right, um, only baptized. Okay, and okay. Um, it's debated whether or not John the Baptist was performing proselyte baptisms. It really depends on if you are a believer in infant baptism or not as to whether or not you think he's doing proselyte baptism. Okay, okay. It's sort of like, what okay. do you believe? Okay, now let's go with that. Has your bias um, been confirmed? Right, because we can't really prove with absolute certainty whether he was using proselyte baptism as his sign. And when you say proselyte baptism, you're talking about dunking. No, 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 no. no. I just mean baptizing um, Gentiles into the Judaism, except he's using that method, which would have been very commonly understood by the Jews, got it. to baptize circumcised Jews. Okay, got it. Which would have been a great offense, meaning they're unclean, they're outside the sanctuary, they're outside the covenant, they, like Gentiles, need to be baptized and brought in. Okay, I got it. Right, the mode is not relevant here, mm-hmm, necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the baptizing of a circumcised Jew, well, as though they are unclean, Mm-hmm. Like a Gentile, well, that's offensive. Okay, and that's what John is doing. Whether or not he's doing it precisely as they did the proselyte baptisms cannot be proven. Certainly, if he was doing it precisely like they did proselyte baptisms, then he would have been baptizing entire households. Okay, all right. So we do know as well from the New Testament that the debate was whether or not Gentile children needed to be circumcised. Yeah. That was the debate. Okay, yeah. Okay. Paul's in Galatians and other places. Mm-hmm. And we do know that Jewish Christians were circumcising their children in the local churches. And okay. we've already proven that from other podcasts. Yep, okay. But outside of the New Testament, is there any evidence of infant baptism? That's the question on today's episode. Oh, okay. Well, then here we go. Let me just say it this way. All right, go. Bold assertion. Uh-oh. Infant baptism was the universal practice of the church until after the Protestant Reformation. Say that again? Infant baptism was the universal practice of the church until a bit after the Protestant Reformation. Okay, okay. Until the 17th and 18th century. 16th, 17th, 18th century. With the arising of the Anabaptist movement. That's right. Okay. The Reformers, of course, vigorously defended infant baptism Okay. against the Anabaptists. The reformers did not rebaptize. They were not Anabaptists, which means rebaptizers. Okay, okay. The reformed congregations, Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, Knox, Beza, 
Mm-hmm. Modern day, what we would think of as modern day Lutherans, Presbyterians, Anglicans, Episcopalians, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Reformed, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. They still baptize infants. Okay. They never stopped. Mm-hmm. Infant baptism was the universal church mm-hmm. practice mm-hmm. until a little bit after the Reformation when certain leaders began to question it. Okay. And they are known as the Anabaptists. Okay. They would consider the infant baptism of the Catholic Church and the Reformed churches as not a baptism, mm-hmm. and they would re-baptize. Okay. Yep. Okay. They also were... There was like wars fought over this. Oh, yeah, because this has to do with um, the nature of Christian state, Mm -hmm. Christian states. This is really, and deep down underneath all of this, is the debate over whether or not we are called to establish Christendom or to establish sectarian groups that remain um, remnant-esque until the end of time. Okay, talk through that a little bit. Well, we'll have to do that on a different podcast. Oh, man, come on, that's fun, that's fun. (laughs) We'll talk about that at lunch. All right, all right. But the Anabaptists were like what we think of as Amish. They were separate from society. Society had no hope. Society was going to hell in a handbasket. Okay. And you only baptize those who have made a clear profession of faith and are ready to enter into this new group here. They've chosen Okay. They've made a decision. Yeah, and they would oftentimes withhold baptism for many, many years until someone could really, really prove Mm. that they were legit. Okay. Now, they were also mystics and pacifists and communists and, and you know, there has plenty of strange cult leaders among them. Mm. Nobody wants to say that the Anabaptists are their heritage. Okay. Modern-day Reformed Baptists do not... They don't claim the Anabaptists. No, no. The Anabaptists are the ancestors of the Amish, mm. and the Mennonites, the Shakers. Mm, That's yeah. like the Great Awakening stuff, right? Am well, I, I mean, the they, they were right? they were in they were in the United States as as well. But mm. this is like if you go to Pennsylvania today and you see these separate communities. Yeah, you know, they only baptize people who become them, and uh, and when and they don't recognize the baptisms of other churches. It's a sectarian group. Okay. Right? But that, that's not at all the history of Reformed Baptists today in America. Okay. The Reformed Baptists in, in America today go back to the 16th and 17th century in the English Reformation. Oh. It, it happened okay. in the 16th and 17th century after the Reformation, and it happened in England. Okay. It didn't happen anywhere else in the world. It happened in England, mm. where based on the writings of John Owen and a few others, yeah. people began to rethink the nature of the covenants. Mm. They began to rethink continuity of covenants, and they began to question whether or not infants should be baptized. Okay. But okay. what about earlier than that? Okay. Is there any historical evidence that we can present to support our claim that infant baptism was the universal practice of the church until the English Reformation? Until the Anabaptists. Okay. All right. That's the question. That's the question. Okay, so, I got it. A little bit of evidence here. First of all, no one disputes that infant baptism is the universal practice of the church since Augustine. Okay? Okay. 300s. Okay. Okay. Augustine set up what would be the definitive case on infant baptism during his lifetime. Okay. In the 300s. And since Augustine... It has been practiced by the church okay. universally. Got it. Until after the Reformation, in the English Reformation, around sixteen, seventeen hundred. Mm-hmm. Okay. No one disputes that in that time period, okay, between the fifth century mm-hmm. and the sixteenth century, that infant baptism was the universal practice. Okay. 
But what about the very early church, the 100s, the 200s? Mm. What about before Augustine? Okay. Now, we know Augustine himself was not baptized as an infant. Okay. That's right. Now, he later began to believe in infant baptism, but he himself was not baptized as an infant. Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. But why was he not baptized as an infant? Was now his mother was a believer though, wasn't she? Yes, yes. I remember but that. Why were believers withholding baptism? Okay. Right. Is what they were doing the modern day credo Baptist position? Were they the early pristine church that didn't, had not yet been corrupted? That the 16th and 17th century English reformers, you know, rediscovered, mm-hmm. or was this something else totally? going on here okay all right okay now admittedly there's not a ton of evidence on this all right i'm trying to think about original sources (laughs) there's not a lot of evidence of anything right you know there's just not a lot of extent paperwork (laughs) (laughs) all right um right uh josephus didn't write about baptism too much yeah well and and the writings we just don't have that much Mm -hmm. all right tertullian we don't have a lot of tertullian's works or irenaeus or Mm -hmm. origin we have some but we don't have a lot Mm -hmm. right Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of material, mm-hmm. but with the limited amount of material material that we do have, well, they had a lot of other more important things to worry about, like not dying. Yeah, well, and it's just for whatever reason, not everything has been preserved mm-hmm. over these years, mm-hmm. right? And they didn't necessarily publicly fight and talk about every single little thing. Mm-hmm. We do see from the literature a lot of adults being baptized. Yeah, well, that would make sense given the historical context. Yeah, the fact that the na- the nations are being discipled and the gospel's going out to the Roman Empire and to the West and to right. the East. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, as they're writing on the frontiers, of course, a lot of adults, whole tribes are being baptized. Mm-hmm. But this says nothing about the practice of infant baptism. Mm-hmm. No one's debating whether or not adults are baptized when they believe, of course. Right. Adults should be baptized when they believe. Absolutely. But then their children, through their baptism, are set apart and holy and should also receive the sign of the covenant, just mm-hmm. like Abraham's children received the sign of the covenant, mm-hmm. which was circumcision in that time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a single writing, we'll say this, in the in uh, history that condemns infant baptism for infant baptism's sake. Right. Okay. Right. Adults were being baptized, sure, but that's not the debate. Right? We know that the New Testament, of course, has a lot to say about this. But in church history, we have to go all the way back to the second century in the apostolic tradition of Hippolytus. Okay. That's where we're going to start to see some mentions of infant baptism. Okay. Okay. All right. And we have some texts left over from Hippolytus. Right? Hippolytus. <laughs> Listen to what he says. He says this. He wrote this. First, baptize the small children, and each one who is able to speak for themselves, let them speak. But those not able to speak for themselves, let their parents or another one belonging to their family speak for them. Afterward, baptize the grown men and finally the women. Hmm. Hmm. You see, we see that the small child's inability to speak for himself wasn't a problem. Mm -hmm. The parents or the sponsors would speak for him Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. infant would be baptized. That's Mm -hmm. late second century. Cyprian of Carthage in 258, he debated the whole debate was not whether or not children should be baptized, Mm -hmm. but on what day should they be baptized. Hmm. There was a big debate, and it's written about in the um, manuscripts, on whether or not they should be baptized on the eighth day or on Sunday. Hmm. See, no one is debating whether or not infants should be baptized. Mm -hmm. They're all assuming it. Right. It's assumed. Right. The debate was over what day. When should we do it? 
That's right. Mm. When should we do it? Now, why would they make the connection between eighth-day circumcision and baptism? Because it's a sign of the covenant. Be- yeah, and I Easy. believe that Paul makes the exact same connection in Colossians chapter 2. He calls the circumcision of Christ the baptism of Christ. Mm. Right? He's making this connection pretty plain. I think they could read that, and so they began to deduce, should we baptize on the eighth day? Right. And I believe, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, that it was um, decided that that wasn't necessarily essential and that it could be done on Sunday when everyone gathers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tertullian, in about 200 AD, he, he wrote on infant baptism as well. Mm. And you know, he condemned infant baptism. Really? Yeah. A lot of people say, you see right there, Tertullian is beginning what would become a tradition of denying this terrible practice. Okay, okay. But why did Tertullian condemn infant baptism? Okay. Was it because he had a credo-baptist, reformed Baptist understanding of believers' baptism, Mm -hmm. that they were not in the covenant, they had no covenantal blessings necessarily, and that they needed to make a credible profession of faith before receiving the sign of the covenant? Or was there... Another reason why he said we need to delay it. Okay. The reason why he said they needed to delay it was, first of all, because everyone was already doing it. Right? Okay. What do you mean? Who is everybody? If you write as a, as a main theologian in the 200s, mm-hmm. and you write condemning infant baptism and saying it needs to be delayed, mm-hmm. that implies that the practice was infant baptism. Oh, I see. I see. I see. By implication. I'm, yeah. got, I'm getting it. I'm so getting we can it. see by implication that infant baptism was the practice of the early church. Okay. But now we have Tertullian saying, hey, we need to delay it. Okay. Listen to what Tertullian writes. He writes this. He says, they that understand the weight of baptism will rather dread the receiving of it than the delaying of it. Dread the receiving of it. What's going on? If you know the weight of baptism, it would be better to delay it than to receive it. What is the weight of baptism then? The dread of receiving baptism. Mm -hmm. Wow. Many were then taught to delay their baptisms like Augustine, as we brought up earlier in the show. Okay. Yep. 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 But why were they delaying it? It's because they believe it washed away sins. Oh, really? And if you're going to have your sins washed away, you might want to wait to the end of your life. <laughs> okay. Many of them believe that if you sinned after baptism, you could not be saved. Oh, snap. This is okay. why, for this reason and other reasons, Constantine wasn't baptized till his, his deathbed. Wow. Interesting. See, I never knew that. So yes, they're saying we need to delay baptism, but it's not because they're credo-baptists, reformed Baptists. Mm. It's because they have a faulty understanding of baptism. They have a baptismal regeneration. Mm. I see. Now, fortunately, Augustine fixed this error. Okay. And he laid out the definitive case on what baptism means and what it is. Okay. And he laid out the case for infant baptism, okay. which became the universal practice until England in the 17th, 16th, 17th century. Okay, I got right. it. Origen, another famous church father in, in the 200s, he mentions the practice of infant baptism as well. He says, the church had a tradition from the apostles to give baptism even to infants. Mm. Origen, from his commentary on the epistle to the Romans. Mm. Mm. Right? So, historical evidence doesn't prove with certainty anything. Okay. But the idea of a pristine early church that was baptizing only adults right, and was for 
truth and covenantal accuracy delaying the baptism of infants. Right. That does not seem to be there. not the case. Right. It no. is not the case. Infant baptism was the universal practice of the early church. Mm. Some people began to teach to delay it because they believed it in baptismal regeneration and, and washing away, away of sins. sins, and so mm-hmm. they wanted to wait till they piled up some sins before it's, having them washed away. And Augustine came along and said that right. Augustine said it right. That's right. Mm. So yes, people delayed baptism, but their reasoning had nothing to do with infant baptism per se. Mm. It had nothing to do with waiting until a credible profession. It was none of that, mm. right? Mm-hmm. They delayed due to their false beliefs in the nature of baptism. I see. So this is not a, a conclusive evidence for either side of this particular debate, right? but the idea of a pristine early church where they are only baptizing adults is simply false. Mm. I got it. Infant baptism was the universal practice of the church since the beginning, since the tradition of the apostles. Makes sense. I see it. Amen. Amen. Guys, thanks again so much for joining us for another episode of our series of podcasts on infant baptism. If you'd like to find this and other resources, you can go to our website at wearechristchurch.com, or you can find us on sermonaudio.com and search for the keyword, We Are Christ Church. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you all next time.